Welcome to another You Centered podcast. It's a beautiful day. We are actually in week 13th of our new normal here at the You Center. Uh, things are starting to look up, and hopefully, these doors of the You Center will be back open before you know it. Uh, today, we are having a talk topic. We are entitled it Starting a Conversation Getting Comfortable with Being Uncomfortable. I am lucky to have three wonderful young people that are going to tell them a little about themselves, and then they will actually be talking to us about a lot of the things that are happening in our country right now. Everyone is obviously talking about what's happened in the last 10 days, and obviously it is something that's been going on a lot longer than 10 days. It's been going on for hundreds of years, um, and it's something that is at we're at a tipping point here in our country right now. Um, I have been outspoken uh, beyond belief since a week ago Monday. Um, I probably need to calm down a little bit, but I am very frustrated. I'm very frustrated with the lack of leadership in this country. I am frustrated that people are not listening. Um, I am frustrated that peaceful protests are turning into violence. Um, and I am obviously very upset. I mean, the image of Mr. Floyd is something that I still uh, lie awake at night thinking about. Um, we are at uh, a crazy time, as I said. Over the last week and a half, I've probably had 100 conversations with people. Um, some of those conversations have been unbelievably productive. Some of those conversations have not gone well. Um, people have a hard time talking about that. And what I'm looking to today is to talk to some young people. I want to know what they're feeling. Um, I have three people of color here um, that are going to tell us in their own words maybe what the last week or long before the last week on some of their feelings. So I do have today, and we have from our own Youth Center staff here, we have Asia Valdez. We have an old friend, Jocelyn Avila, who has, um, was here when she was younger. Uh, and is back here today. And then we have Andrew Kangethe, who has been uh, a major member of the Youth Center over the years. Um, we haven't really seen him since he graduated high school, uh, but he's back. And this was actually um, precipitated with Andrew calling me saying, I want to come back to my community that I grew up in and give back and possibly take a look at having some kind of a peaceful protest. And we had a long conversation, and it was so good to hear from Andrew again. And um, we decided to, first of all, do a podcast, and then we'll probably lead on to some other things. So thank you all three for coming on the Youth Centered Podcast. Let's start with... Um, Let's start with Asia Valdez. Asia, uh, most people are getting to know you as, as our newest full-time staff people, person, but can you give uh, everybody a quick bio on you? Yeah, so um, I've been on the podcast a few times now, and I'm excited to be back. Um, I moved to North Andover in fifth grade from uh, Lawrence School System. Definitely a big change. Um, I'm Dominican. I just graduated from Salem State with a social work degree and a criminal justice um, minor. So, And she's working full-time now as our support services coordinator. So thank you, Asia. Jocelyn, long time no see. Can you give us a little, uh, little bio on you? Yeah, hello everyone. My name is Jocelyn Avila, or some of you might know me as Jocelyn Avila. Um, I'm from Wisconsin. I moved here when I was nine years old into North Andover. Um, but I was kind of in between the Midwest and the East Coast until I officially started attending North Andover Middle School in sixth grade. I attend Northern Essex Community College at the moment, and I am majoring in communication arts, and that's a little bit about me. Sure. Thank you for coming. And Andrew? All right. Um, 
I'll try to keep this brief, um, just because I think there's a lot more in my life to be done than has been, but my name is Andrew Kengethi. Um, I was born in Lowell, Massachusetts, and I moved to North Andover when I was about 13 years old, so in eighth grade. Um, and I went to a private slash Christian Catholic school for most of my life until I moved to North Andover, and those schools are also mostly white. So for me, my background, I grew up, and I like to say that I grew up white on the inside and black on the outside. So it's an interesting perspective because you still deal with the racism even though you aren't bred that way. So um, as for me, um, as Rick said, I used to come to the youth center and I used to play basketball and I think just my work ethic Rick noticed and so when I applied for a job here, he eventually was nice enough to offer me a job. Um, but aside from that, I eventually put the ball down and I picked up piano and that's what I did um, in high school and I also ran track and then I graduated in 2017 and I went to NYU. Um, but since then I have taken a break um, just to work and learn more about the world and where I fit in. Awesome, well thank you for coming. I wanna ask the three of you, um, and you know, tell me in your own words on this. What what has the events of the last week meant to you guys? You want to start, Andrew? Yeah. Um, in a lot of different ways, um, I think a good deal of black people walk around with unhealthy levels of paranoia, um, just because I know people, and I eventually turned into one of them, but. It had nothing to do with this. Um, I just realized eventually that I didn't feel safe in this country. And that was before I knew about Trayvon. Or like, for people of color, it's something that they've always known. So even somebody like Emmett Till, like, it just, it's just a certain, like, it creates an affirmation of what we already know, basically, and what we don't think is going to change in the near future. So it's an event, and it's good to see people rally, but I mean, we're looking for change, not just people's pity. So, yeah. Thank you. Jocelyn, how about you? Personally, I felt like the events that have occurred recently has been very heartbreaking for me, um, being a person of color. But I wanted to point out that being a person of color is not synonymous as being a black person. All people of color are minorities, but not all people of color are black. So as a Hispanic woman, I felt tired, upset, heartbroken, but I can only imagine how my black peers have felt when circumstances like these happen, which it isn't the first time. And Unfortunately, this one was broadcasted, but most often than not, things like this happen to people that I even know, and it's not even broadcasted. So I feel like, personally, I'm tired of fighting a battle that should, have not, should not be a battle that we need to fight. Racism isn't something we need to end. Racism should just end because it's wrong. And that's just how I feel about it. Outstanding. How about you, Asia? So um, just the events in the last week, it's just like, like Jocelyn said, I'm, I'm just tired um, because I feel like this is something that shouldn't even have to be a question. This is something that shouldn't even have to be like, we shouldn't have to be 
protesting and fighting for basic human rights. Like, this is just something that should just be a thing. And it just feels like history is just repeating itself. And at this point, I'm just angry. Like, you know, I have family members. My little brothers are half black. And this is just something that I... It j I just get super emotional about it. I've been losing sleep over it, and I'm just, I'm outraged. Thank you. The three of you uh, grew up for parts of your life here in North Andover. I, I would like to know is, what was it like growing up in North Andover? What was your understanding of um, differences of, obviously, race in a community like North Andover? Any of you can step up. Personally, when I grew up in North Andover, um, right off the bat, I was living in a new state, so it was already something that I had to um, be become comfortable with, not knowing anybody at all, not knowing the environment that I'm in already. Um, definitely did not give me any type of leverage. So already I was a different person to everybody, but the fact of the matter that I am not a typical Dominican-looking person, since I am half Dominican, half Mexican, um, and the community, the big Hispanic community that we have near North Andover is mainly Dominican people. Um, I was looked upon as if I'm like, I'm an immigrant or I don't belong here. And I've always felt different, but um, I felt different within even my own Hispanic community. And it was difficult for me to grow up in this town because it is predominantly white. And mainly the fact is you learn racism. It's taught to you when you're growing up in your family and your household. And most kids, are taught um, about things like that. And they may not even know that they're being discriminated against another person, but your mannerisms, how you look at a person, how you act when a person is in the room, um, you can just feel it as a child. And even though I was only in middle school, I was only like 11 years old, I felt like I did not belong, no matter what I could do. Even if I spoke Spanish, or if I spoke English, or even if I tried to conform into the society that they wanted me to conform into, I just felt like I never belonged. And I faced a ton of discrimination, racism, within the whole North Andover public school system when I attended middle school and high school. And I had to fight certain battles with many other minorities in the town that we never even got our voice heard until the very end, until I graduated. Thank you. Andrew, how about you? Um, I entirely agree. Um, I think it's the job of every parent, not just the parents with children of color to explain what racism is and why it's wrong and how to take a stand when they see somebody being openly discriminated against just based on the color of your skin. That's something anybody can do. But at the same time, it's a very confusing concept to explain to a child. And I don't even think this is anybody's fault because I'm not even sure my parents took the time to explain it to me. Um, because my parents, like I said, um, they came from Kenya and they came to the US with their college degrees from India and their degrees were essentially useless in the US job market. So they had to go to school again in the US and my grandparents came from Kenya and raised me. And so my grandparents who spent their entire lives in Kenya had no experience essentially with racism. And my parents had some perhaps when they went to India, but not the same way as it is in America. So I thought I was a normal kid that just spoke two languages and eventually I just had to learn to pick up on cues. And I was lucky because I was blessed with an analytical brain. And so for instance, if I saw somebody doing something at the same level that I was and I was getting criticized for it, 
I would wonder why it happened until I had an answer. And then eventually I realized it was race, even if I didn't have a word for it. Hmm. But that happened to me at a very young age. Asia, what about you? Um, growing up here, I think I've found a lot of, like, um, just race things within myself, like trying to be able to be comfortable in my own skin. And I think part of that is, you know, I, I think a lot of kids, um, you know, like, like they said, they they learned this behavior from their parents and things like that. But I wouldn't say the kids when I was in like fifth grade or things like that were doing things on purpose or anything like that. I think there's just things that people do. You know, we have these unconscious biases that we don't know about. And we look at somebody and we're like, why is your hair curly? And then I go home and I'm like, mom, I want to straighten my hair. I don't want my hair to be curly. So that's kind of a little bit, I had problems with my own identity trying to, you know, fit into who I was around with in my own classes because I didn't want to be different. I didn't want to embrace my culture because, you know, I didn't want to bring lunch from home because it wasn't what everybody else ate. So I struggled a lot just with my with my own things. And I'm not saying like, you know, it's for them to, it's like to blame them or anything like that. Definitely as, you know, you get older, that's when you need to check yourself. And that's when I start, you know, being like this, you should be educated and things like that. But it just starts when you're young and it's difficult. So for the three of you, what would be the first time that maybe you you noticed, whether it be overt or subtle, where you were treated differently because of your of the color of your skin? Um, to start off, I feel like any form of racism is overt, like nothing about it is subtle. Um, honestly, we are taught through our families about racism, but I also believe that our society that we live in today, what we see in the media, um, the system itself is all different types of form of systematic racism that is a reason why um, people have like unconscious biases, for example, like Asia was saying. Personally, um, I really, when I was, I can, as long as I can remember, I think I was five years old, I remember going to the grocery store with my mother and someone telling my mom like she can't speak Spanish because we live in America and we have to speak English. So that was the first time I ever really distinctly remembered um, any type of discrimination towards me or my family. But there was many, 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 many instances after that that I experienced things like that. How about you, Andrew? Um, for me, um, I'd have to say there were two fairly um, similar experiences in which I realized um, something's not right here. And I think one of the first ones was when I was in pre-kindergarten and we were learning how to write letters and everybody is just writing letters and I could perfectly write letters. I was, I eventually became known for my handwriting but my teacher was convinced I was writing the letter N wrong and I don't know why but she made me repeat the letter. And I'm not sure if it had to do with the fact that there's a racial slur that starts with an N. Her last name is coincidentally also started with an N. But that I realized at that point that I'm not being treated like every single person that's here. There's something wrong here. But it even extended outside of school to where I would go shopping with my mom and I would get accused of stealing something and my mom would have to argue and I didn't even know I was being watched, but 
it's part of being black. You can't go into a store and act the same way as a white person. I've gotten accused of stealing just because I'm holding something. So I think when I was very young, I realized they're gonna be watching me when I'm in stores. I can't even act wrong or I'll get accused. And that was probably when I was about six or seven. Mm. Asia? Uh, similar to what Andrew said, um, I remember the first time that I'm really remembering a big instance was, um, you know, kids when they're younger, their favorite thing to do in middle school is probably like go to the mall, walk around. And that's like something me and my friends, we used to do and, you know, I just started going out. So I didn't, I guess I didn't really know what the world was really like until I went out there. And, you know, our parents dropped us off and we're at the mall just going through stores. And we went into a store and immediately like there all the like associates there are going to follow us around and then they call like the mall security but just to like walk around so that it's not them saying that we're doing anything but you could tell they thought that we were stealing just because we were in there and I was with a group of you know kids of color that's like mostly who I hung out with and we were all like we're not doing anything wrong we're just looking around and to them that that wasn't okay like just for us to look around when everybody else was doing it so th- these instances have happened to you were you know fairly young age um, going back to you know Andrew talking about just doing the letters when this happened what was your emotions and feelings and like how did you how did you deal with it as far as the letters incident I was just confused about it for a very long time I couldn't put my mind as to comprehend why I would have to keep doing the same thing over and over again if I'm clearly doing it right. But that was mostly anger just for a long time. I feel like that teacher just hated me and I was doing something wrong. But the truth is I was a good student. So there wasn't really any reason for me to have to continually do that. and. I think the store incident was more so just a learning experience. Like, it taught me I can't act certain ways. I don't have that right. I don't have a privilege to act like that because of my skin color. So I think it's important to learn that at a young age, but I think it's even more important to teach somebody that so that they're not confronted in a store. How did you feel, Jocelyn? Personally, I felt... um sad because I wasn't sure why someone was saying something like that to my own mom something like it was a language that I was so familiar with already so I I never understood that nobody knew Spanish I thought everyone knew Spanish I thought everyone knew English you know and I didn't understand why someone would tell my mom something like that but it definitely affected me going to school afterwards because when I was younger I grew up learning only Spanish and then when I had to go to school I had to speak English so growing up as a bilingual kid I was having struggles not speaking English, but having struggles trying to understand like how to be like everybody else. And I quickly learned like, okay, people, people speak English here. No one speaks Spanish. So I can't be myself. I have to be like them. And that definitely affected me um, in school with friends and teachers and so on and so forth. And that continues to affect my life to this very day. 
So Asia and I have had some conversations about this, and, and, and again, as I've told you guys, I, I'm, I'm old, right? So I've been here 32 years. Um, and when I first came here in 1988, long before you guys were even alive, um, this was a different community. It was predominantly all white. Um, there was a couple of African-American families, and there was probably a couple of Hispanic families when I first started here. Um, and what we've seen, and excitingly for me, is over the years, we, we are becoming a changing community. Now, we are still predominantly a white community, um, but things are changing. Um, and one of my things is that, uh, which hit me really strong at the last couple of years, where a lot of kids would come to the youth center and say they wish there were people in the school department or even at the youth center that looked like me. So when you guys were going to elementary school here, middle school, and even high school, um, how difficult was it to maybe not have adults in the community um, that were maybe um, non-white um, that could relate to some of your struggles? How, was that a problem for any of you? Um, I remember I didn't move here until I was 13. So I had already had my experiences of what I had thought was racism. And I remember when I was about five, like already I wanted, I remember like I felt like I wanted to be white because like I could tell that things were easier. Like things simple as hair. Those are the things you worry about when you're a kid. And I personally just... I don't know. I feel like there, there's definitely an issue with that. And I'm sorry, would you mind rephrasing your question? Well, I wanted to know is, that, you know, as you grew up in this community, yeah. um, there weren't a ton of adult mentors, teachers, educators mm -hmm. within the system that maybe were African-American or Hispanic. Okay. Um, and I hear from a lot of kids that they're looking for that, right? Yeah, and, it is um, comforting. Yeah, and obviously yeah. we're celebrating the fact that, you know, Asia Valdez is Hispanic and is our first um, Hispanic work in the youth center. We're excited about that. It's been unbelievably received. Now, Asia did not get the job because she was Hispanic. Asia got the job because she was the best qualified person. But when I hear kids talk about that, um, is it tough being a person of color growing up in a community that's predominantly white? And when you work in systems like education, would it be more helpful if there were more people of, of color that maybe you could relate to or feel more comfortable with or at least have someone that kind of looks like you? Yeah, I definitely think it would be important. I think it's extremely important just because it automatically makes somebody feel more comfortable. And I think it's the same way that white people or certain white people will feel uncomfortable around a black person, except it's the reverse situation. Black people just naturally feel comfortable around other black people, even if they don't know what their life experiences have been. And there are issues, obviously, but I think the most important thing is bringing diversity because that does help children. It makes them more comfortable for sure. Jocelyn? Um, I definitely think it's important that we have people of color, especially black people, in positions of power so that kids can have role models to look up to. They can have hope to know that they could become like them one day. 
And also, I think it's important for kids to feel like they have allies. They have somebody there to protect them, back them up, and understand where they're, exactly they're coming from. Um, I remember in high school when Mr. Jackson became um, the principal of the school, it was very important for all of us because we thought it was amazing. Like, wow, someone like him can become a principal, maybe someone like myself. But um, I know, speaking to Mr. Jackson personally many, many, many times, I knew it was very difficult for him to um, be the principal of the school, to be our ally, but to also be um, not biased, quote unquote, because he was always being watched down. Like, okay, if they do something wrong and you go with their side and you go with the minorities, like you're being biased. So it was difficult for us to get along with him at first since we felt like, oh, he's kind of like whitewashed or he's going with the other side and he's not, he's not on our side. But it's not, it wasn't his fault. It's just basically he had to conform into the society that they wanted him to just so he can become the principal. And it took us a long time to realize that. But in many ways, he was contributing to us and being a role model to us just by being the principal of the school because he was a black man. And there was many times where he participated in many activities to help enforce, um, you know, help enforce, help reinforce um, the fact that like racism is very predominant in the school. Um, many people could experience discrimination and we need to end that. And he helped us through that many, many times. So that's one example, but he's really one of the only people that I could think of out of the whole high school that, that was a person of color, that was a black person who had that position of power. So if we had more people like him in that position, then it would probably give kids like myself, kids like Andrew or Asia, the hope and possibility that they can be professional too, that they can become just like this person as well. Thank you. Asia, you've taken on a full-time job here. Um, how important is, is it for you to be here as a person of color, uh, now coming back working with kids? Um, how do you feel about that challenge? Are you excited about that? And do you think, to the points of what we're all making here, that you can be that mentor and that role model to young Hispanic girls or boys or African-American boys or girls? So when I applied for this job, this was something that definitely was, you know, in my head. I was like, I'm, I'm going to be there for these kids. And, you know, it could be even on a more personal level than, like, out of school because it's after school and stuff like that. And, you know, this, this was a challenge that I was like, I want to take this on. I want to make a difference. I want these kids to be able to feel like when they come to this youth center, they have somebody that, you know, looks like them. Not that other people wouldn't be able to do the job just as well. It's just that having somebody, you know, that looks like you, there's comfort in that, whether, you know, it doesn't take anything away from people because I've had a lot of teachers at the middle school and the high school that were white and have been huge supporters of me and people that have been great. But, you know, not having anybody there that I really felt like understood my culture, understood what it was like to be a person of color, you will never be able to relate to me on that level. So now to be able to relate to these kids on that level, I'm hoping that, you know, some kids maybe won't feel like I did when I was younger. Like, you know, I, I, I wish I was white or I wish I had straight hair or I wish my skin was a little bit lighter. Um, so I, I want to be that person for these kids. And we know you will be. Let me, let me take you to 10 days ago. Um, and I told you off air that um, when I first saw, so it was Monday night, I uh, was watching CNN late, late in the evening, and I saw this, this situation that happened in Minneapolis. And um, to this day, I've only watched it once because for me it was so, it was, 
unbelievable. I don't think I'd ever seen anything before, but I had anger emotions. I wanted to cry. Uh, I saw this going down and saying, this is what we are as a country in 2020. I want you guys to go back 10 days ago when you first heard about this, when you first saw the pictures. Um, what was your initial reaction? Um, honestly, it was it was anger, it was sadness, it was a loss in like faith in, in like humanity at that point because it's like, it's like, oh, here we go again, you know? And it's like people, you know, that I've been seeing and talking to and things like that, it's like they're all saying one guy died and, you know, and it stinks and, you know, they're like, but all this is coming from it because one guy died completely missing the point it's not that this one guy died this has been going on for years and years and years and, and it's just something that shouldn't be a thing and people are not seeing like the bigger picture of this one yes this he's one man but this has been going on it's a it's a symbol of of what this country is and it's 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 honestly heartbreaking andrew um as a black person, it's an interesting perspective. Um, most other black people I know seem to be not as phased as other people. And I'd consider myself one of those people because the first time I had ever heard of police brutality was with Trayvon. And then you start to realize, oh, these things have happened before. And you start to research more. and you realize this whole problem is systemic. And I think it's an even bigger issue when somebody like Emmett Till or somebody like Breonna Taylor, people that are literally defenseless and are doing absolutely nothing wrong. And not to say George Floyd was, but people that cannot defend themselves and are more vulnerable. And those are the people that are targeted, unfortunately. And so I think we definitely need justice for those people, as well as George Floyd obviously being the most recent is what people are going to talk about. But Emmett Till didn't get justice. Breonna Taylor's boyfriend was arrested for firing back one shot. And it wasn't until a few weeks ago that he was released, but it's all systemic and it's wrong, so. How did you feel? Um, the first time I saw the video, I, I quickly just like passed by it because I already knew what it was about and I didn't want to like traumatize myself. But then the second time that I really sat down and got to watch the video on my own, I cried like a baby because just things like this breaks my heart since black people have been fighting this fight since the beginning of time, since they first came here to America. And people don't realize that, like Andrew said, this is systematic. This is a systematic racism issue that we're dealing with. It's not just with the police that we're having issues with. It's with the media. We're dealing with so many different aspects that people deal with discrimination. And it's honestly heartbreaking because we can't fix it all at once. But starting slow and starting to come to the realization that, that we have these issues and we need to address them, we need to fix them, we need to have these conversations with our, with our children, with adults, we need to stop acting like this is a tough conversation to have. Because people like myself, Asia, even Andrew, black women, black men, they have to have these conversations with their children. And kids cannot even get to be kids because of things like this. They have to learn that at a young age, hey, because of the color of your skin, you're gonna die one day. And that's not fair. 
I never, I just can't simply fathom or understand why is it the way it is. But fortunately, when I went to Framingham State University one semester, I actually took an African American studies class and I was able to learn and understand why race was even developed in the first place. And it was developed to kind of degrade black people and to make them feel lesser than because in order to enslave a whole generation and nation and race, you have to degrade them. You have to make them feel lesser than. And that's when race was created. Race was created to basically oppress black people, people of color. And that's why you cannot technically be racist towards white people. That's why white people have privilege. That's why they cannot see racism or see color or any of that. You guys have that fortune, like you guys are fortunate enough to be able to experience those things. But we, as people of color, as black people, as black women, black men, we have to suffer in silence all the time because of issues like these. And it's about time that everyone comes together and puts an end to it. So hopefully this is the beginning towards the end, but obviously nothing can happen overnight. We just have to come to the realization of these things, start having these conversations and start understanding why things are the way they are and how we can move forward from here. Thank you for your honesty. Let's let's talk about the last 10 days then what has come from the fallout, right? So, you know, and to me, I, I was very outspoken on social media uh, that it should have never taken four days to charge Derek Chauvin um, with murder. Um, and it's taken another uh, almost a week to charge the other officers. Uh, and because of that, we have seen incredible um, protests throughout the country. It wasn't just Minneapolis. Uh, it was with almost, at this point, all 50 states, major cities in all states, obviously smaller communities. Um, we have seen her unbelievable, wonderful, peaceful protests. We've seen unbelievable connection between people and police departments with the protests. And then we've seen the ugly side of it, where people have destroyed property, people have died uh, through the pro protests. Um, we see vigilantes doing things and almost cheapening what the whole message of what we're trying to do over the last week here. As young people, and you're seeing this fold, uh, unfold obviously on the media every day in your own feelings, what's the last 10 days been like for you since George Floyd's death? Um, as far as for me, I don't know how much or how significant George Floyd's death was to me specifically because I look at other cases that haunt me more. And that's even scary to think about because eight minutes is a long time. So for the last like 10 days, um, I've just been trying to come to the terms of what life is like and realize that everybody has to do something even if you're a person of color and you're in a position now where everybody wants to support you just because somebody died that's not going to last forever so we have to act and we have to make those changes because people will forget that this happened they eventually will and it's not going to be the front line of the news forever so what about you, Jocelyn? Um, personally, uh, I've been affected by all types of forms of discrimination, and I've always been trying to fight and advocate for people like us since I can remember, like maybe even like starting in the beginning of high school. Um, 
personally, I, I grew to a point where I was tired of saying the same thing and not being heard. But now that we are coming to a point that we are going to get our voices heard, regardless if you want to hear it or not, I feel like the best way to apply that pressure is to do it within our communities. We need to start within our communities. If you want to make a change and you want this protest to mean something, if you want his death to mean something, if you want the death of all black men, women, children throughout the entire nation of America, throughout its entire history, if you want that to mean something, then we need to actually do something about it. So not just people of color. It doesn't have to necessarily only be black people who need to do something about it or Hispanic people. It needs to be everyone, everyone who cares about this issue. So personally, I have been trying to get in contact with the assistant superintendent of the North Andover Public School System. And my goal is to create a class that's mandatory for all students to take throughout all four years of high school to actually learn about the real history of America and learn about culture and learn about the differences of people and how to embrace them and how to affect, make those changes effectively moving forward. I love it. So you're trying to get in touch with Lorene Marx and, yes. and try to make this an actual uh, initiative. Yeah. Um, I tell you, you got my support, anything you need. I think we do need to do some education and mm -hmm. uh, obviously the school system's the best place we can start on some of those things. Yeah. How about you, Asia? These last you know, 10 days or so have just been so many emotions. Um, I feel like I've personally, like people that I thought that I knew, that I thought that cared about me, people or people that I loved or, you know, things like that, that I just, I'm seeing just not that support. So I feel like I'm losing a lot of people because to me, there's no on the fence about this. It's either, you know, you're, you, you know that this is wrong and, and you stand with us, with me, or, or you're just, you don't. And that's kind of where I'm at in my life right now. I don't want anybody in my life that's, you know, not really taking a stand on this because it's so important. And like they said, this isn't gonna be in the news, like it's not gonna be in the front page forever. This is gonna blow over and then people are gonna go back to their normal lives and this, and until the next thing happens. Because until, like if, if, if nothing changes, this is gonna continue to keep happening. And I feel like, you know, like, like Jocelyn said, um, I was supposed to do a macro project at the middle school and my project was going to be to when you guys do um, professional development days, teachers before, like, you know, when you guys do the professional development days, I wanted to have some sort of cultural diversity um, thing to go on because I've seen, you know, some teachers that just don't understand and that that's a problem in this in this day and age, like you need to be teaching everything not just you know picking and choosing yeah we'll learn about the boston tea party like what about everything else that went on in, in history to make things the way they are today and i i don't know my 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 point was you know now that i'm here i want to bring culture into the youth center and i want to have you know like classes and things like that where we can sit and talk about these things that yeah might be making people uncomfortable and you know th this needs to be started at a young age because I took a class in college and we all sat around and we had to talk about things that made us uncomfortable we had to talk about our unconscious biases because you need to understand that before you can move forward because if you you have these unconscious biases and things like that you're going to continue to have them if you're never called out for it we don't have a ton of time left, and I knew this was, we could probably talk for hours on this, but I want to get to a couple last questions for both of you. Uh, Jocelyn mentioned it in Asia, followed up. Um, I am not, I am not naive. Um, I know our community does a lot of wonderful things, and I know our community needs to be better in this area. 
So Jocelyn has a wonderful idea to you know work with the school department to maybe make some curriculum-based things. Asia has an interest in and in a motivation to bring a lot of these issues to here at the youth center. Besides that, what could we do better? Now you've grown up in our community, uh, you've lived here, you've um, you've grown up to to a point where you're now young adults. What can we do better here in North Andover? Give me, give me some strategies. Well, to start off, um, start acknowledging um, <clears throat> the type of access accessibility that you have in the school. For example, you guys are able to create clubs and you know things that are, like matter to you. For example, my friends and I, when we were in the high school, we created the um, cultural dance group, and yeah. that's still very prominent in North Andover High, but not many people know about it. So. I think it's important that join if you join these clubs, meet other people, you know, branch out, diversify your life, you know, meet people of people that are not like you, become friends with them, understand them, try to try to kind of put yourself in their position and try to get out of your comfort zone, learn about cultures, educate yourself, learn about our nation's history, learn about things that you probably have no idea about. I think that's the best way we can go about it because education is power knowledge is power. The more you know, the better it is. So the system that we live in in the United States, the education system, they kind of want to dumb us down so that when we get out of the, when we get out of the high school, or when we get out of these schools, we are not aware of what really is going on in the world. But if we educate ourselves about these matters and we learn that, oh, we can vote for, for example, we can vote for, um, the school committee. We can vote for people within our towns, like small things that matter. If we start voting more minorities into these things, more people like that to have power over others, then I guarantee you change will start to happen. You just have to be knowledgeable. You have to educate yourself. Thank you. Andrew, what can we do? I think the points she made are very important because a lot of these decisions are, they're made based on local authorities and these authorities are usually placed in positions that can be voted for at the local level and so that's definitely where it needs to start and even somebody like the district attorney um, they have to be elected and if we're choosing the wrong people then we're letting the wrong people get away with things as well and so we need to choose people that are actually worth it and we have to educate ourselves and I think educating ourselves on the history of this country and on the platforms that our politicians and the people in power have, then we can start to effectively move towards change and from where we currently are. Thank you. Asia, what do we got to do? I definitely think, you know, like we talked about before, at least trying to find candidates of, you know, people of color to bring into these school systems. Um, because you know they'll bring a whole different aspect to this town and they'll have their own things that they can contribute um, and you know just being educated and not just the kids the adults that you know might be set in their ways at this point need to be educated and like I said maybe or like Jocelyn said too maybe having more cultural classes and just being able to really see what's going on not just sticking to you know let's let's teach for the MCAS or anything like that let's actually like learn things let's learn about different cultures and you know that that's what it, it has to start with you know when you're younger to when you grow up and we just we need there needs to be something done we've come to the the part of my weekly podcast that we get to what's called the final word 
I would like to hear from our three amazing young adults here on their final word. But I would like to frame it that I would like you to talk to some of your fellow um, white um, kids that you either go to school with, you've been friends with. What would you want the message to them to be from you in the light of everything that we're talking about? Asia, what do you want to say to you? So I've been seeing something going around um, that a lot of um, people that aren't people of color are posting and things like that. And it's, um, I understand that I will never understand, but like with you, I stand. And that's something that I feel like, you know, it's good to, to realize that you will never understand what it is that, you know, people of color are going through and things like that. So like not, not to try to make themselves the victim in this situation, but to stand with us and try to you know, fight against this so that hopefully one day we can get some equality. Jocelyn, what's your final word? Um, educate yourself. If you want to learn more, you don't expect a person of color or a black person to educate you upon a such matter because it's not their responsibility. They have to live with it every single day of their life. So if you really want to know and you really care, educate yourself. And also um, try to try to take yourself out of the comfort zone and try to normalize correcting yourself. If you are wrong, if you feel like you have racist tendencies, it's okay to learn that you are wrong and you can change from that. It doesn't make you a bad person. You actually are becoming a better person if you leave those um, unbiased or like you were saying, unconscious biases. If you stop stereotyping people, you're not a bad person. You just have to learn from that and you have to correct yourself moving forward. And also try to correct ignorant people and whenever you see an injustice happening, try to actively try to help someone out of that. Because if you are a white person, you have the privilege to do so. Thank you. Andrew, take us home. My final message is very similar to Jocelyn's. I don't think people should be putting their burdens or their fears or their sadness on black people or minorities or people of color. Because as wrong as it sounds, there is a debt that white people have and there is something that they need to do because of the privilege that they have because i mean it started with slavery so i think it's important for them to use that privilege in the best way possible and i think if you see a black person stopped if you see a black person outside of their car and you are a person of white color you have the right to go there you have the right to watch you have the right to film and i'm not saying necessarily everything should be filmed but you can be there and it'll be a situation that might be different. Who knows, you could be a difference maker. So try to correct ignorance when you see it and try to be there when the injustices are happening. Even if you can't stop it, at least somebody will know it happened. Thank you. I wanna thank the three of you for coming on. Um, uh, I knew that you would have a message um, for my listeners. Um, I think you have a passion, um, you have emotion, uh, and you got strength. And I, I thank all three of you. Uh, you all had a different style with how you even answered the questions. Uh, I'm so impressed with you. Um, I'll go back to my original point. You know, after 50 minutes of talking to you, this is why I believe that our future is going to be bright. And I think the future lies in the youth. Uh, to change the way we are doing things. Um, a number of you had mentioned this. Um, it's going to take a little time. It's got to be step by step. It can't stop when it leaves the news a week from now. 
We need to continue to do this. How do we do it? We vote, right? How do we do it? We put an education and curriculum. How do we do it? We communicate. How do we do it? We listen. And uh, you guys have had some great insight on how to do this. So I really appreciate your time. This is not a fun time in the world right now. Um, we're dealing, obviously, with a pandemic. We're dealing with race issues. Uh, we're dealing with a lot more. And to me, my biggest thing is the lack of leadership and at all levels, from the White House down. Um, and we need to continue to fight this fight and, and to be a voice. And again, I appreciate you three. Um, I'm blown away with a lot of things that you guys said. Uh, and I hope a lot of people will listen to this podcast and heed your advice. So thank you for coming on the You Said It podcast. And as we finish every podcast, we always say too much passion is never enough passion. <laughs>